Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. During Advent, we are doing a sermon series called The Chosen One, which focuses on the various events leading up to Jesus' birth. I hope you enjoy. So what do you say? You want to read it a third time? We'll go for it again. <laughs> we'll skip. We'll go to Matthew 2, 1 to 3, and 7 to 11 for us for, for scripture reading. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Treasure these words and ponder them in your heart. Thanks be to God. Merry Christmas. Christmas. It's wonderful to see you all here tonight. Thank you again for coming and worshiping with us this evening. You know, every year I get super excited about this particular service because it is an amazing service. You all always do an amazing job, don't they? I mean, really, they do an amazing job. I've been doing this service for seven years. That's how long I've been at this church. And every year, I just absolutely love coming to this service because there's this electricity in the air. And it feels like no matter where you come from, No matter what you bring into these doors, no matter what's going on in your life, you can set that aside for just a moment and feel like you're part of something bigger than yourself. Have you felt that before? All right, that's what I feel like when I'm in here. And I'm looking forward to the day when my sons are able to experience that for themselves. Right now, as we speak, my wife is attempting, and I use that word very specifically, to put my sons, who are six and nine, to bed right now. Now, as you can imagine, they are amped up. They are excited. And I think that I probably got the better in the deal, even though it's 8.40 at night and I'm preaching right now. I think that it's going to be harder for her in the long run. Now, we've been trying to teach our kids, been trying to teach my boys what Christmas is about. We've been trying to teach them it's about Jesus' birth. We've been trying to teach them that it's about a spirit of generosity. But if I'm being honest with you, they don't see it that way. It's really about them getting toys and presents, right? I mean, that's how they see it. And a few days ago, I took them out, and I was like, okay, guys, we're going to focus on getting a present for your mom, okay? That's what we're going to do. We're going to get a present for your mom. So we go to the mall, we get in there, and we start walking through it. And can you imagine what happens? Like, we walk into a store, and I'm like, okay, what do you want, guys want to get for mom? And they're like, well, you get this for me. <laughs> And so we start going around, and finally we zero in on something, and I'm like, okay, so we're good. We're going to get this together for mom. And then I was like, so just so you know, I need you guys to help me pay for this. And they were like, whoa, hold on a second. I didn't realize there was like transactions that took place with this. And I said, no, it's about generosity, guys. Come on. It's important. And they eventually came around to it, and it was good. 
But it's interesting how their perspective on Christmas has really influenced their lives and the lives of their peers. Recently, we were having some families over from our neighborhood. These are families associated with where our boys go to school. And we started talking about Christmas. And my son and the children, they were all kind of talking about, well, what are you going to get for Christmas? And what are you going to get for Christmas? And one of these families who we hang out with, they're Hindu. And so when they got to the little girl who's in their family, I said, well, what are you going to get for Christmas? And she says, well, we don't celebrate Christmas. And for my sons, it was like you could see the wheels just turning in their brains. And they're like, what do you mean you don't celebrate Christmas? You mean Santa doesn't come and bring you gifts and place them under your tree? This was like the greatest tragedy they had ever come across in their life. It was a huge miscarriage of justice. I could see them almost trying to reach out and be like, you know what? We can call DCFS if you really think that this is something that's an issue. I'm here for you. It led to an interesting conversation, though, among the parents who were there. Because with the parents, we were kind of talking about, well, what do you do on Christmas? Where are you going to go? And when we got to this Hindu family, it was interesting because I was like, well, what do you guys do? I mean, obviously, you're not celebrating Christmas. And they said, well, we go to our family's house like everybody else does on Christmas Day. But often, we will go and see a movie in the theater if there's a good one. So we'll go to our family. We'll go see this movie. And I thought, you know, that's a really interesting tradition they have. Because for us here this evening, it's kind of similar to what we're doing here tonight. Now hear me out on this because you may not necessarily see the connection between those two things. I don't know if you've been to a movie theater lately, but our cinemas have been flooded, and I do mean flooded, with movies about the origin stories of superheroes and supervillains. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. So if you don't know what an origin story is, let's just get that out of the way. So an origin story is an account or a backstory of how a particular character comes to get their superpowers, or a group of characters for that matter. So if you've ever seen these movies, what you see is the plot usually is generated around this idea that it's trying to tell you how these characters got their particular superpowers, how they became superheroes and supervillains. Now, it doesn't matter whether it's Batman or Joker or Black Panther or Wonder Woman or Wolverine. Hollywood is pumping out these movies faster than a speeding bullet or faster than your credit card can process that $20 transaction fee that it costs to actually go see a movie, which as a side note, can I just go off for one second on this? Can you believe that it costs $20 sometimes to go see a movie in a theater? When I was a boy, right? <laughs> when I was a boy, it costs $5 to go see a movie. And I know some of you are sitting here saying, when I was a boy, Alex, it was 10 cents. So yes, inflation is real, right? Okay, we all get that. Now, if you haven't had a chance to see these movies, don't worry, every few years they reboot the franchise. So you'll have the opportunity to see it again and they'll change it just enough so you'll think to yourself, you know what, I feel like I've seen this before. And it's true. You have seen it before. And people love these movies. We love them. They reboot them. They start them over again. And these movies are so popular and so profitable that the filmmakers who make the DC and Marvel Universe, they have no less than 11 origin stories scoped out over the next 10 years. And that's including all the other movies that they're going to do with these superheroes. Now, here's the thing. With all of this going on, my question is, why are people drawn to these 
movies. Why are these superhero movies, why are they so popular? Why are they so profitable? Why do we like them so much? And I've been thinking about this actually for a long time now. And I really, really believe that as humans, we long for somebody to save us. We long for a savior. We long for someone to swoop down and save us from the darkness that's enveloping our world. And tonight, we are here to celebrate Jesus's origin story. And actually, it has all of the elements that you find in these superhero movies that people clamor for in the theater. So if you've ever been to one of these movies, what you'll see is that they usually begin with a prophecy. And the prophecy says that there is someone coming who is going to change the course of human history. In Christianity, those prophecies come from a book we call Isaiah. And in Isaiah, what it says is that there's a man who God is going to send. This man is going to change the world for the better. This man is going to bring peace and prosperity by eliminating violence, war, and conflict. Now, this man is referred to as the Messiah, and for our purposes here tonight, just think of a Messiah as a king. So this king is going to be given the power to rule over the earth. And if you read in the Gospels, what you will find is that Jesus is referred to as the Messiah. He's going to be this king. And the way that he is able to rule over the earth is that he has attributes and powers that belong to God. So if you've read the Gospels, what you probably know about Jesus is that he can heal on demand. He has the ability to multiply fish and bread. He's able to walk on water. He can control the weather. He can even, after he's executed, come back from the dead. So, for all intents and purposes, Jesus is invincible. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like the stuff of superheroes to me. But, here's the thing. With his story, the path to him being able to become the chosen one, there is a great deal of danger in his way. In fact, there are moments throughout this story, some moments we read a couple of different times tonight, so there are moments throughout this story where it seems like Jesus isn't going to survive long enough to take his place as the Messiah, to take his place as the chosen one. The first major hurdle that Jesus has to get over is the fact that his mother is a poor peasant girl who's engaged to a man named Joseph. Now, to you, that may not sound like much of a hurdle, right? The only issue is, is that she gets pregnant with Jesus while she's engaged to this guy. And what you have to realize about the ancient world is that if you were a woman and you were engaged to be married and you got pregnant and the source of that pregnancy was not the guy who you were going to marry, that was bad news for you. That in fact, you would be stoned to death by the elders of your community. It was a very serious situation for her. Now, Joseph, he intervenes. He's able to prevent this from happening. He guards her from actually having an execution taking place. So he basically gets her to the point where she can give birth. So the first hurdle, she overcomes it. Second hurdle that he has to overcome is the fact that once she's about to give birth, she can't find a safe place to give birth to her child. Remember, they're wandering around. They can't find any place to go. And this guy's supposed to be a king, right? Now, he's born not in a palace. He's not swaddled in silk, right? He doesn't have the best servants in the land attending to him. Where's he born? He's born in a barn. He's placed in a trough. 
And the attendants he has, they're shepherds, some of the roughest, dirtiest people in the ancient world. But he gets over that hurdle. He's born. The final hurdle he has to get over is the fact that after he's born, he's hunted down like a dog. So we read about how there's this group of astrologers. Now, we more commonly refer to them as magi or wise men. But these astrologers, what they do is they study the sky, and they're familiar with these prophecies that are found in Isaiah. And there's a star that's rising in the east, and they follow the star, and it leads them to the area of Galilee, where Jesus is from. And they say, hey, does anybody know where this new Messiah is to be born? And Herod, he hears about this, and he says, hey, wise men, come talk to me for a minute. So Herod, he is extraordinarily paranoid about people taking over his throne. In fact, the historical King Herod, he had his son killed because he was scared that his son was going to take over the throne. Now, his son was grown. He was not a baby. So he talks to these wise men, and he says, hey, just in case you find him, let me know where he is, okay? Just so that I can say hello to him, and you know, I want to pay him homage as well. So the wise men, they go out, they end up finding Jesus and Mary and Joseph, and they give him gifts. What are the gifts? Gold, frankincense, myrrh. Now, we usually think that there's three wise men or three of these astrologers. We don't actually know. It doesn't say. You read it in the text. There could be two. There could be 20. It doesn't really tell us. The point is, is that they give him those gifts, and they leave without telling Herod, which, when Herod finds out about, is very angry, and he wanted the opportunity, of course, to assassinate this young king. So instead, he issues an edict. And the edict says that every single male, two years old or under, in and around Bethlehem, that they are to be murdered. Now, thankfully, what happens is Joseph has a dream. And in this dream, an angel comes to him and says, Hey, Joseph, time to get out of Dodge. Gather your family, and you got to get going. So he gets up, gets his family. They go down to Egypt, and that prevents Jesus from being part of the slaughter of the innocents. And that's how he gets over the final hurdle of his life. So there's all of these evil forces that are attempting to stop the prophecy from coming to fulfillment, but the universe conspires again and again to save Jesus so that he can grow up and become this man who will be the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Chosen One. Now, if that is not a superhero origin story, I don't know what is. And it brings me back to the question I posed a little bit earlier, which is, why are these stories so important to us? In particular, why is it that Jesus' birth narrative, his birth story, his origin story, why does that resonate with us so much? I mean, every year you all choose to come back here and hear it again. It's not like you didn't know the story, right? So what is it about this story? When I look at it, I don't think it's that, by the way, you all think he's a superhero. I just want to put that out there. I know that's not true. But what I do think is that there is something about this particular story, the story of Jesus' birth, that really touches our soul. There is something that resonates universally with every single person sitting in here. And that is, our lives are precarious. Our lives are precarious. The fact is, our lives are unpredictable. And you all know this to be true, don't you? You can be going along, everything can be fine one day, and then literally, just like that, everything can change on a dime. You all have been there, you all have experienced this in your life, you know it to be true. 
And it happens in so many different ways. But here's what we do as humans. We have a sense of where we want our lives to go. So we all have this dream. We're going to grow up. We're going to meet someone special. We're going to marry that person. We're going to have children with them. We're going to find this great job so that we can provide for them. Then we're going to help our children grow to become these great citizens of the world. And then after that, we'll go into retirement, enjoy our golden years, and we'll look back on all the things we achieved. And there are some people who are able to do that. But the reality is, most people, we don't make it that far. Because there's always something that gets in the way. There's always something that throws a wrench in that plan. So maybe you never meet that special someone. Or maybe you do, and it doesn't turn out the way that you'd hoped. Maybe you never get to have that dream job in a field where you're passionate. Or maybe you do get that dream job, and it's not everything it's cracked up to be. Maybe as you were growing up, you didn't feel like you really connected with your parents. Maybe you had a really contentious relationship with your parents. Or maybe you loved your parents dearly, and now you're watching in their old age as they lose themselves to dementia and Alzheimer's. Maybe when you got married, you had a dream of having children, and maybe your child was born with a disability. Or maybe your disability is the fact that you have trouble connecting with your children. Or maybe you had a death in your family, a death among your friends, a death you were not expecting. And when that death came along, it totally upended your world. Or maybe you're longing for death as you suffer from depression or anxiety or addiction. The fact is, life is always throwing us curveballs. And when those curveballs come our way, it can make us want to hide under the covers and pretend like the world doesn't exist. Life is precarious. And Jesus' story, the story of his birth, is a mirror of that reality in our lives. The odds were stacked against Jesus even making it at all, and yet he survives. He is able to make it to fulfill his call and his purpose as the chosen one of God. And I think the reason why we grasp onto this story, why we come back to hear it year after year, is because if Jesus can survive and thrive, then maybe, just maybe, we can too. And that's how I want to end this evening. No matter what you're dealing with in your life right now, I want you to know something, and I want you to hear this. God does not want you to suffer. God does not want you to be living in pain. God does not want you to fear the future. God was there for Jesus, and God will be there for you too. And no matter what you're dealing with, no matter whether your life is going great right now, or whether you are in the deepest, darkest valley, I hope that you believe that God not only wants you to survive, but God wants you to thrive. God brought Jesus in this world to be a blessing for others. It is amazing to me that we are still talking about this man 2,000 years later. And we talk about him not only because of what he did, but because of how he impacts our lives. The love that he had for this world is something that continues to spread. And that love can impact you so that you can be a blessing to others also. I think that's what God intended for you, that you would be a blessing to the world. And so I hope this evening, with everything that you've heard, with all of this beautiful music, with all the scriptures we read, 
I hope that you will come to believe that what we read in the scriptures are true, that today a Savior has been born, and that Savior wants to love us, comfort us, and heal us. May you experience that love, comfort, and healing as you celebrate Jesus' birth tomorrow with your family and your friends. Merry Christmas, and amen. amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.